0: We come now, brethren, to the reading of God's Word and to the preaching of the Word. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Peter and the 4th chapter, the book of 1 Peter and the 4th chapter, and I'll be reading and then preaching this morning on verses 12 and 13. That's 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. I encourage you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Here Peter writes, beginning in verse 12 of 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your kindness today. Thank you for bringing us together in this assembly to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we now ask for the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, that he would grant us an understanding of this text of Scripture this morning and help us to apply it in such a way that our lives are transformed, our thinking is renewed, and our desire to serve you with our whole hearts is strengthened. For we ask all of these things this morning in Jesus' blessed name, amen. This morning we want to direct our attention to Peter's words here in chapter 4 and verses 12 and 13 on the purpose of trials. In our journey or in our spiritual pilgrimage as God's chosen people. And especially those trials that often come against us with great force or great intensity. In fact, Peter refers to them here in our text as fiery trials. And they are intended to test the very core of who we are and what we hold to as believers in Jesus Christ. For throughout the course of our earthly pilgrimage or our wilderness wanderings, if we can call them that, there's a sense in which all of us are still wandering in this life through the wilderness, waiting to cross over into the promised land. You and I will encounter such trials, and it's critical that we understand the purpose of these trials. Under God's loving hand. And throughout this brief epistle, Peter has already revealed to us two purposes for such trials in our lives individually and in our lives together corporately. And of course we need to understand before we go too far into this text that Peter is speaking to us in these verses as God's people, Speaking to us as those who trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. For if you and I are not believers today, we have no true protection against life's trials. We have no true shelter against life's storms. But as we've stated before in this series, as Christians, God has designed at least two purposes for what we're going through and I hope this is very practical and useful information to all of us this morning. First, we encounter such trials in life because they are powerful reminders, they are signposts, they are signs posted along our path that this current world is not our true home. This current world is not our true home. This is not the place where we are to expect that we will find true and lasting happiness. And I know we know that, but sometimes we forget that. And we deceive ourselves or we forget and find ourselves thinking that for some reason we should be finding our expectations met, that we should be finding all the lasting true happiness that we desire here. But that's not the case. For Peter stated back in First Peter chapter one and verse four that We are looking for something better. We are living for something better. We are looking for an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading, something that's kept in heaven for us. It is not an inheritance that is defined by what we now see and by what we now experience. Rather, in a very real sense, you and I are simply passing through this world we are temporarily traveling in this wilderness journey. And as we pass through this world and travel along this wilderness path, we are doing so not as friends and supporters of the world but as servants of a heavenly king, of a king who rules in an everlasting kingdom. We are those who are on this earth only for a short time to represent our Lord and to do his will. That's another reason why this life cannot satisfy us, because we're not here for very long. In the purposes of God, we're here for what God intends for us and God alone. And therefore, when we encounter the kind of trials that force us to question our own strength, when we encounter the kind of trials that force us to see that we don't have the ability to endure on our own, we we need to remember that these trials are not intended to halt us. They're not intended to hinder our progress in grace, but they're just signposts. They're just reminders to us that something far better is still ahead. For the sufferings that we experience under such trials are only temporary in duration and temporary in nature, but the joys that still await us at the end of this journey are eternal. And so let us keep this in mind, let us keep this in our focus that one purpose for our many trials, and by the way, there are many trials in the life of the believer. The psalmist said in Psalm 34 and verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, not few, but many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the purpose of those many trials, those many afflictions, is to keep us constantly looking heavenward. I don't know about you, but I need these trials to keep me looking heavenward so that I don't look to myself or so that I don't look around me to think that somehow these things in this life can satisfy me. I need to be constantly looking heavenward, Christward, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then a second purpose for our trials, and this is a purpose that should be stressed more, is to show and remind us that you and I, in many respects, are called to walk on the same path that Jesus walked. We are called to walk in many respects on the same path that Jesus walked on. In fact, Peter stated back in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Well, an example is something to be followed, right? Leaving us an example so that you might follow in his steps. And as Jesus was called to walk on a path of many and varied trials of difficult afflictions and sufferings, you and I are also called to suffer in this life in a similar way. We should not expect to be treated differently than our Lord Jesus was sorely treated, nor should we expect that the way that we travel will be light and easy. Sometimes we think that, right, that the path should be light and easy and airy and breezy when the way was so hard for Jesus, the way was so hard for the early Christians who followed Christ. No, Jesus said to his chosen disciples in John chapter 15 verses 18 through 20, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, and I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus, they will persecute you too. But if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Then Jesus also said in John chapter 16 and verse 33, That in this world you will have tribulation. Tribulation. And so in responding to our trials, beloved, we should remember that Christ himself assured us that tribulations would come. For he assured us that the enemies of God would strike out against us with the same hatred, the same disdain that they had for him, and that oftentimes our motives and our actions as God's people would be questioned. Our motives and our actions would be maligned. And yet Jesus declared also in John chapter 16 and verse 33, this is the good news, take heart, take heart, for I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. We need to remind ourselves of those words. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. So dear embattled Christian, you who are experiencing opposition and oppression that Christ speaks of, be confident that your current trials are not intended by your God to overwhelm you. Your current trials are not intended to distress you. They are intended to remind you, dear child of God, that you are on the right path. Did you hear me? You are on the right path. You're on the path that God has called you to. It's a difficult path. It is a path of tribulation and affliction, and yet God is with you. Christ has overcome the world for you. Jesus walked on this path long before you. The path the Lord Jesus Christ now calls you and me to follow him on is a wise path. And as you and as all of us are actively trusting in Christ and continuing on this path, let us remember these encouraging words that I just spoke of a few seconds ago. Take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. For Jesus has already traveled this path victoriously. He's already tasted the very worst that this path can produce. He's already triumphed over this path completely. And now Jesus, our faithful example and savior, provides us with a way forward, a way that does not guarantee the absence of trials ahead, but the abundance of grace that is needed to pass through our trials, knowing that he led the way, knowing that he will help us finish the path by looking to him because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. So secondly, our current life, which is filled with trials, reminds us of who we are to follow on this path that's been appointed for us and how he has already secured for us by his works and merit the final victory. And now, brethren, we come to our sermon text this morning what I read earlier, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And here in these verses, we find a third rich and profound purpose for our trials, and that is our trials are used by God under his own mighty hand to prove, or as the English, version, English Standard Version says, to test us to give us a great cause for rejoicing both now and at Christ's revealing. In fact, let's read again what Peter writes here in verses 12 and 13 of 1 Peter chapter 4. For he writes, Beloved, or those who are dear to God and to me, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so here again, Peter sets before us what our responses should be in the face of trials and afflictions of great difficulty and intensity. And Peter declares that in facing these trials, these afflictions of intensity, we should not be surprised. We should not be surprised, nor should we be bewildered. You know what it means to be bewildered, right? To think something strange is happening to you. We should not be surprised. We should not be bewildered, nor should we be sorrowful, feeling some absence of joy due to our circumstances. But rather, as Christians, we are to be prepared for our trials... We are to be spiritually wise as to their purpose. We are to possess a joy that is apparent even in the midst of our trials because God has a higher purpose at hand. Surely, brethren, it is often our failure to be prepared. Hear me carefully. It's our failure to be prepared, to be ready, our inability to detect some purpose behind our trials, and our failure to maintain our joy in times of discomfort that make our trials seem so overwhelming. And let's admit, sometimes our trials do seem overwhelming. Maybe you're going through trials in your life right now that seem absolutely overwhelming. There is great wisdom, therefore, in pausing when we're feeling overwhelmed by a trial and asking ourselves a few key questions. These questions are right here from the text. The first question is this, why am I so surprised by this? Why am I so surprised by this? Even Jesus said in this world you shall have tribulation. So if I'm surprised by this, I'm not preparing myself for what Jesus said would transpire I'm not placing myself in a state of readiness the second question is why should I be bewildered or confused by what's happening here there's there's nothing strange happening to me when I compare it to what Jesus had to endure for my sake certainly I can be assured that whatever is happening is according to his plan for me right according to his plan for you And then a third question we can ask ourselves is, Why am I experiencing such a lack of joy in the midst of this particular trial? For why it may be difficult, even painful, I already possess the blessed assurance that I belong to Jesus Christ. I already possess the declaration that he gave to me earlier. I have overcome the world. And so clearly Jesus gives us some much-needed help, and sometimes we need much-needed help. Peter gives us much needed help here as well in knowing how to respond when the opposition is strong, when the pressures are great, when our own emotions are being carried away. And sometimes it really is a matter of our emotions being carried away, right? Of being overwhelmed and directed by our feelings. There's much I could say on these points, but I want to restrict and focus the rest of my comments this morning on this third purpose for our trials as God's people, and that being, as our sermon text states, the purpose God has to prove or to test us, the purpose that God has to prove or to test us, and to give us a cause for rejoicing both now and at the Lord's revealing. And as you can see, Peter identifies and introduces this third purpose here in verse 12 with this expression, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? To test you. And this purpose statement, that's what this is, a purpose statement to test you, is very important to our understanding of what God does in us through our trials, which should serve as a means of great comfort to us. And yet, sadly, this statement from Peter here, to test you, has been widely misinterpreted by many Bible commentators. And in such ways that it creates or stirs up fears within God's people, rather than reasons for rejoicing. I hope you understood what I just said. Sometimes Bible commentators will interpret these passages in a way that actually causes fear, among God's people rather than causes them to rejoice. One way that some Bible commentators have used these verses and verse 12 which we just read in particular to create fear is that they've wrongly claimed that the testing that is related to our trials that is expounded on here in this verse is that testing that determines if you and I are true Christians that testing that determines if you and I are true Christians, or that testing which clearly reveals whether you and I have enough resolve or enough faith or enough grit to persevere in faithfulness to Jesus Christ until the end. And so some would interpret this, these words from Peter as a warning, even as a threat to God's people. So rather than seeing these words as a comfort to us, Some would say these these words are actually a threat to us, a warning that a fiery trial is coming and that its purpose is to determine whether our faith will hold fast or true and not collapse under intense pressure. For if we collapse, they say, we will show ourselves to be spiritual imposters. And many of us have enough fear in our lives already that we simply need to hear bad teaching, unfortunately. And our minds run away with it. Sometimes we think that what people say is true by virtue that it has some degree of truth in it and yet this interpretation simply can't be right. This interpretation simply can't be right if we're to accept what Peter has already declared before these verses about our spiritual status and our security in divine grace. For remember in all the verses that preceded verse 12 that we've already considered Peter has been assuring us that we're safe in Jesus Christ, that we're secure in Jesus Christ, that we are, as I said last week, surrounded by a sea of grace which has no shore and no bottom. Remember that? For there is no trial, there is no so-called spiritual test that can possibly threaten us now or possibly result in some way with you and I being separated from Jesus Christ if we are true believers. No trial, for Christ has delivered us and made us His very own. In fact, the Apostle Paul elsewhere in Romans chapter 8 and verses 35 through 39 pointed out quite magnificently the absolute impossibility of such a thing happening. In fact, Paul lists in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, every conceivable trial known to man in a sense. It's a wonderful summary statement. And he asks and answers questions which are related to the certainty of our eternal salvation in the face of all that might try to threaten us or intimidate us. For Paul says in those verses from Romans chapter 8, let me just read them for you very quickly. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, Paul concludes, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from what? From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, dear friend, never believe that wicked lie which I am Grief to say circulates and is embraced by far too many in our day that wrongly insists that it is through your own determination and perseverance that God is finally and ultimately convinced to save us. Don't believe the lie that says that your salvation is ultimately dependent upon your ability to pass some objective or subjective test. Don't believe that God is threatening that before you every day. Because the whole truth and nothing but the truth is this. None of us have what it takes to persevere against any trial. None of us has what it takes to pass any test. None of us have the ability to keep our hearts and wills from collapsing under the weight of our trials. In fact, if God were to remove his grace from any of us this morning, including me, Our whole emotional system would collapse just from the pressure that we're experiencing in a given day. It is the sustaining grace of God working within us daily that upholds us. We are sustained by grace and so whatever testing we do fall under in this passage, this is where I'm going with this by the way, whatever testing we do fall under in this passage, has an orientation not to our works, is designed not to promote our fears, but it has an orientation toward divine grace. In fact, I'm convinced that there's no trial that we experience that is ever intended to point us back to a life of fear. Hear me carefully. God is not trying to draw you back to a life of fear. He's delivered you from that. That's going backwards. God is not trying to drag you backwards. God is, by His power and through His Spirit, pulling you forward, forward and not backwards. God is not trying to get us into a place where we worry about whether we'll be accepted by him or not or to a life where we endlessly try to win his approval again and again and again and again by proving how strong or steadfast we are. That is a cruel existence. That is the existence of a slave. That is not the confident existence of a beloved child of the living God. Therefore, beloved, whatever testing or proving that Peter is referring to here in verse 13 this morning must be a testing or proving that furthers the purposes of God's grace in us. It furthers the purposes of God's grace in us. Everything prior to this has been about grace. Now this testing, this proving, is intended to push us even further into that acceptance and understanding of God's grace. It is not a force to push us back like cowards into our old ways, to have us start trusting in ourselves once again, but it is a testing, it is a proving that operates God's various graces within us and produces a thing of true spiritual beauty in our lives, and that is what? Rejoicing. These trials end in rejoicing. These trials do not end in failure. These trials do not end in humiliation, intimidation, doubt, confusion. No, not at all. These things end in a thing of spiritual beauty in our lives and in our churches. For an individual believer or congregation which has been tested, which has been tested in the sense that it's learned to trust in the sufficiency of God's grace, is a believer or congregation that's more rooted in its recognition of divine power. And the more rooted we are, the more embedded we are in grace, so to speak, the more joy we find in the present and in the future. And therefore, dear Christian, you who are in the midst of struggling right now, you who are going through a fiery trial, remember that what you are now experiencing as God's people is not intended to destroy you. What you're experiencing right now is not designed to kick you into a higher gear, not to make you more afraid so you'll do more. It's not intended to test your fortitude or your grit to make you more firm in your own self-determination, but rather it's designed to help you to see your need. Designed to help you to recognize your need for what? Grace. Grace which God gives abundantly for your trial is God's way of showing you the sufficiency of his grace. For these trials reveal to us how badly we need grace, and then God has an abundance of it that He freely gives us, that's freely available to us. And while depending on His grace, you and I have many opportunities to see that grace at work within us. I mean, think about how it works here. Think about how trials and grace are working together. Oftentimes, outside of our trials, We have a tendency to rely upon ourselves. We have a tendency to look at our own works, our own goodness. We have a tendency to trust within ourselves. We have a tendency outside of trials to enter into a false sense of security, a false sense of self-sufficiency. But in the midst of our trials, God is often pleased to show us the genuineness of His grace. To show us the extent and sufficiency of His grace, of His work in us, by granting us grace in the form of rejoicing. Rejoicing, that's how it's manifested. Peter states here in verse 13 that rejoicing is the spiritual fruit that God produces as a result of what you and I have been called to endure. And what causes or reasons do we have for rejoicing? Well, Peter reveals our first cause or reason for rejoicing here at the beginning of verse 13 where he writes, But rejoice in far as you share in Christ's sufferings. As you share in Christ's suffering. For the fact that we can know joy as a result of Christ's sufferings is a, is a glorious thing indeed. However, If we look closely here at the wording of verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 4, we see that it is not merely the fact that Christ suffered for us that gives us joy, it's not merely the fact that Christ suffered for us that gives us joy, but Peter is actually pointing us here to an even greater privilege that most of God's people fail to comprehend. And that being that we are privileged to actually share in Christ's sufferings. Notice that word, share in Christ's sufferings. Now, of course, in speaking of sharing, Peter is not saying that we all join in, that we all participate somehow in Christ's redemptive sufferings, which fully purchased our salvation on our behalf. For the sufferings that Christ endured for our sin Only He could participate in. Only He could endure it. Only Christ's sufferings merited God's acceptance for us. For what Jesus Christ endured in His redemptive sufferings for us was the very wrath of God poured out against the sins of His people. None of us have been, nor will any of us ever be called to suffer in the way that Jesus suffered for sin. None of us will be called to suffer in that way None of us can suffer in that way, but rather, Peter urges us here in verse 13, to rejoice in so far as we share Christ's sufferings, meaning that we are to rejoice because through our sufferings as Christians, we openly identify with Him. We openly identify with Him, For when we suffer for Jesus Christ, we demonstrate something. In fact, let me spell it out in a way that we can all understand it because it's really important. When we we suffer for Jesus Christ, we demonstrate that we are not ashamed to own Christ. We are not ashamed to own Christ. The one who hung upon that shameful tree for sins that were not his own but sins that were committed by us instead. And we we show that we are willing to follow Him on that same path of suffering, not for our glory, but to promote His glory. For Peter suggests this, and it's found all throughout the New Testament, that it is an honor to suffer for Christ. It is an honor to suffer for Christ, who died so lovingly for us. It is a great joy to know That by our willingness to openly identify with his sufferings, we can influence others as well to embrace the Lord Jesus. Then lastly, we should rejoice, according to Peter here in verse 13, not only in the privilege that we have to openly identify with Christ and his sufferings, but we should also rejoice, we should also be glad as we anticipate his revealing. As we anticipate the fact that Christ is coming soon. And when He appears, He shall be revealed as He truly is. For in writing of our future rejoicing to come, Peter reminds us we will rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. For even more glorious than the privilege we now have to identify with Him today is the privileged place that we will have with Him when He appears. For when Jesus Christ appears, we will live and we will reign with Him. We will live and we will reign with Him. For as the Apostle Paul wrote elsewhere, namely in First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says this, If we have died with Him, we shall live with Him. If we have died with Him, we shall live with Him. If we endure, and again, we can only endure by His grace, we shall also reign with Him. Therefore, suffering and tried, saint of God, do not draw back. Do not draw back. But bear your right to suffer for Jesus Christ with honor. Do not be ashamed to identify with Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed to suffer persecution for following the Lord Jesus. Let not adversity circumstance or trial rob you of your joy God has joy for you now God has even greater joy for you in the future for though the path you now take may be hard it may seem very unpleasant it leads to everlasting joy so stay on course Christian stay on course even in the midst of afflictions, even in the midst of many afflictions, for God has a purpose for you. God is bringing glory to himself. He's bringing joy to you. Let us be thankful for God's work of grace in our lives. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you so much for your mercy and grace and for all that you do for us and We thank you that we've been able as a congregation to spend so much time on this subject of suffering. I know at times we hear these passages again and again, and we think, well, when does the suffering ever end? But the truth of the matter is suffering is such an important part of the Christian life, and so many people miss that. It serves such an important purpose, and it's a good purpose, And we've discussed and we've considered this morning many good reasons why we're going through the suffering that we're going through. Help us to not be discouraged, but help us to lean upon the Lord Jesus. Help us, first of all, Father, this morning to recognize that if we're suffering apart from Jesus Christ, then there is no relief from our suffering. In fact, if the Bible is true, and it certainly is, the suffering only intensifies as time goes on. But for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering is put to an end because of the sufferings of Jesus Christ who gives forgiveness and redemption to his people, to those who trust in him. And if we're outside of Christ, if we've never trusted in Jesus Christ today, then help us by your grace to call upon Jesus today to ask him to save us by his grace, to give us a new heart and a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit and if we are believers today help us to see that what we're experiencing today is perfectly designed for our good and that what we're experiencing even though it's difficult and unpleasant at times is exactly what we need we don't need a carefree suffering free existence we think sometimes we do And we desire it greatly, and we're disappointed when we don't have it, but we don't need that because we need what suffering can produce in our lives. We need to be reminded of our need of Jesus Christ and our dependency upon him. And may you do that today powerfully through the preached word today. So bless us. May your Holy Spirit work that work which only he can do, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.